I'm hoping you haven't forgotten this. I mean, we've had a lot of stuff since the last time. We were on this certain series of lessons on Sunday nights, and it was interrupted by several things. Uh, And my fear is that you will be apathetic about the fact that we were talking about apathy. But anyway, so that's what we were talking about. We were talking about apathy and discussing some causes of it. And, and, and there are several potential causes of it. I was going to cover a bunch of them. I'm just going to cover one tonight because you endured such a long sermon this morning anyway. Um, doubt, grief, and triviality were the first ones. But here's what we're talking about tonight is um, we as Christians, just like it, it seems to me one of the most dominant things of our current generation Uh, And it causes a lot of anxiety is this sense that I'm not adequate at this. I'm just not good at this. I'm not capable of doing this well. And that that comes to everything, whether people have this imposter syndrome. If people really figured out how much work I have to do to perform well, they would, you know, it it just seems like people would find out that I'm not really who I propose to be, right? I'm not as adequate as I appear. Uh, And this could affect your spiritual life. We're going to look at some reasons why this might happen. But just the concept that I'm just not good at this stuff, this spiritual life and handling all the different facets of it as I live my life. And and I've I've thought about two or three reasons why people do this. One is this. One really has doctrinal roots. What God is asking of us is at its core impossible. You think about this, right? God's standard is high. What does he call us to be? He calls us to be the image of his son on the earth. Us. Look in the mirror and go, I'm to be the image of Jesus on the earth. What's your response? Mine's something like this. (laughs) Anybody else feel that way? I mean, you got to be kidding me. Is that what you're... All I mean to do? Because I'm, I know me. I know my insides. I know everything. And I'm telling you, what you're calling to me is not possible. Um, and even God, at the heart of our doctrine, says this. Here's, here's one verse. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. John comes along and says in 1 John, anyone who says he doesn't fall short in sin is a liar. So if you don't think you sinned, you're lying. So you sinned, Right? So here's the thing. Everyone falls short. Is that true? So this thing that we're calling each other to, actually God calls us to, and we together in fellowship urge one another on toward, is going to be flawed at best. And oftentimes, when you know you can't be perfect, you give up altogether. I know people who do this. If I can't be the best at what I'm doing, if I can't absolutely top the, if I can't get a 36 on the ACT, right? They're just, and then here's what he says is our challenge. Therefore, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Are you kidding me? That's a real verse in the Sermon on the Mount again, that pesky Sermon on the Mount. So he says, I want you to be perfect like God is perfect, but know this, everyone isn't. Do you get what the call is? This challenge is like, okay, you're telling me to strive for this even though I already know I won't make it. This is called um, a double bind. Two things you're supposed to do that you can't. 
do both. Let me give you an example of a double bind. Be spontaneous. You ever have anybody tell you that? You're not very good at this, so you need to be spontaneous. Well, let me think about it. Well, once you think about it, you can't be spontaneous, correct? You can't just be, well, okay, so here's another one. Go to sleep. You ever say, I can't get to sleep. Well, just go to sleep. And I'm telling my mind, go to sleep. And when I tell my mind, go to sleep and try to do what you tell me, I can't sleep then. Don't be scared. Don't be scared. Or just when your wife is furious at her, just say, Honey, calm down. Now, that's the dumbest thing you can tell her, right? Because it's like, at this moment, that's not going to happen. And so it's like, you give them a command they can't possibly keep. You're going to eat the broccoli, and you're going to like it. Well, you might make me eat the broccoli, but I ain't going to like it, right? That's a double bond. Here was one. This is a real-life one. This, this, I don't know, to a, to a seven-year-old mind, or eight maybe, I can't remember how old I was, it was the only time I ever remember my mom sending me to Michigan to stay with my real dad for a week. or I don't remember how long it was. And it was a real awkward time, wasn't real comfortable. It was a very strange atmosphere to be in. And the last day we were there, he was going to work, and his, his wife was taking us back to the airport. And he said to us before he left, you'll come back next year, and you'll call me dad. Because I'd called him by his name. And I never went back you might make me come up here but you're not going to make me call you that that was a weird double bind that he thought he could put on me and all it did was just kind of collapse the whole plan that's the idea it feels like this sometimes it feels like this sometimes in the christian life is that god wants us to excel and strive to be like christ but we already know we're not going to so what's the point and this is where our doctrine then steps in to help us. As our doctrine kind of identifies the problem, it also provides a solution because God offers us grace and God offers us the Holy Spirit. These are tools you need to know are available to you that God issues to you to help you do this. Grace is an important thing. God's already saved you. You don't have to do these things in order to be right with God. You don't. You already are. He sets you on a successful spot already by saying, you are my child. You are saved already. Now from that, I want you to grow in your love and your service to me. And I want to give you the spirit. You're not doing this by yourself. I'm putting a bit of myself in you to help you with this. God is just like bending over backwards to help us with this. So here's one. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. One of those beautiful little nuggets in there. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Who is he? God began the work in you? I thought we did. Do, do we start the work or does God start the work? But whoever, it's the idea, when God started it, God's the one who inspired you. God is the one who moved you. God is the one who, who so compelled you through his truth and even by his spirit to respond to him. And who's going to bring it to its full completion? Is that going to be you? No, he's going to finish the job that he started. 
That's an amazing verse, and I love this because it just, you are, you're, you're not, God's not saying, well, if you make it, you, you're going to make it on your own bootstrap. No, if you're going to make it, God's going to finish the job. That's an amazingly wonderful thing, so that, like when Nicodemus is trying to figure this out, you must be born again. It's like, this is so weird for Nicodemus to think, that's impossible. Well, how much say did you have in your first birth? Anybody want to say? How much say did you have in being created? Can we say zero? right? How much say do you have, or how much do you have to do with your new birth? Well, you have to be willing, but God gives you the new birth. You have to voluntarily enter it, but God even does that, and that's what he's wanting to say to Nicodemus. Here's the verse that I would use for this, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, which is another one of those nuggets. For by a single offering, just one, He has, and again, it's God, has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. This is strange because of the tenses of the verbs, right? This one sacrificed, he's perfected, past tense. It's already done. Those who are being sanctified, they are still in process. Okay, are they done? Or are they still in process? This language is strange. He is perfected for all time anyone who is being sanctified. This is strange. So I put a little thing at the bottom. Okay, you've got the start to your Christian life, and you've got the finish. Okay, at what point are you perfected? Like God looks at you and says, you are perfect. At what point? Along this trail. You may want to guess? The whole thing. From the start all the way to the finish, you're perfect. You've been perfected. What does being sanctified mean? It means anywhere along that journey, if you're on that journey, if you're on that trajectory, God looks at you as if you're done deal. You're perfected even though you're being perfected in your own spiritual walk. It's a strange thing. And what is the thing that allowed you to be perfected? Is it your actions? Is it your works? No, it's that one single offering. It's Jesus. If you are somewhere in your journey between starting with God and finishing with God, He looks at you as if you are perfect. It's amazing to me. We understand this with a lot of areas in life, I think. Any perfect spouses in here? <laughs> Dare you. Lift a hand. You will be baptized tonight and not brought back up. You will just be left under. No perfect spouses. Any perfect children? Any perfect parents? Any imperfect any perfect employees. We know this. We're not going to be perfect at anything, and we know it. We acknowledge it. Even those in the Baseball Hall of Fame who a lifetime 300 average means they failed 70% of the time, and yet they're legends. Isn't that strange? If you have to be perfect to be a part, if you have to be perfect or you'll be discouraged, you will not be human. Because none of us are. And God doesn't demand that, though to aspire to it 
brings him joy. Second thing I would say about this, second reason is that we constantly compare each other. We constantly compare to different things and it drives us crazy. We're warned about this over and over again in the New Testament. Here's some verses that say that. If anyone thinks there's something when they're not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions, take pride in themselves alone without comparing to somebody else. That's a big verse, Galatians chapter 6. Apparently it's a big problem. Everybody looking at each other and say, I can't pray like that. I can't preach like that. I can't send cards like that. I can't greet at the door like that. So I'm just going to quit. I can't pray like so-and-so does, so I'm not going to pray at all. Like we have to be in the top 10% or just drop out and don't try? That's kind of crazy, but that's the human mind, right? Here's another one. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when, then, but when they measure themselves by one another, compare themselves with one another, they're without understanding. If you, if, you are, if you are ramping up your faith by comparing yourself to somebody lesser, newer, less experienced in the Christian faith, and that's how you feel good about yourself, that's terrible. The other way is the same way. You compare yourself to a spiritual giant who's been at it for years and years, and you think, I can never ride there, so I just quit. That's not how it's supposed to work. Is there another one? I think there was one more. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That's sort of the same thing. One, of, one, one way you could see this in the church at Corinth where they were fighting over, this is, this is so comical, they were fighting over spiritual maturity. They were fighting over how mature they were. I'm more mature than you. Now, when you do that, when you do that, you look stupid, and you're claiming to be more spiritual. That's just goofy. That's how people are. In their immaturity, they're comparing themselves to the maturity of other people. And these, speech, these spiritual gifts people are saying, you know, I really like the tongues. Or as, let me just use it body language like Paul does. Everybody wants to be an eye because an eye is sitting there and does so much. No one wants to be the big toe that's hidden in the shoe. No one wants to be the big toe. No one holds up a sign that says, I want to be big toe. Nobody does that at church. And when they're handing out spiritual gifts, there's a long line in the eye line, and the big toe line has nobody. Nobody wants to do that. Has anybody experienced what it's like for your big toe not to work right? It doesn't just hurt, but it affects your entire balance of the entire body. It's really more important than you think, but we're comparing each other, trying to figure out who has the most uh, obvious and uh, um, uh, can't do without kind of gift, right? It's the same in your vehicle. You have this nice, ramped up, souped up vehicle, chrome everywhere, it's shining, but your starter goes out. You may know where the starter is. It's where you put the key in and then goes into the engine. It sends a bunch of power to certain parts that start, and it just, it just goes out. You don't see it. It doesn't make your car look any of that great. You don't, you don't spend any time thinking about it. But if it's out, the whole thing just won't run. And we're all important to the body. And Paul's trying to say that over and over again. So often, we just think, if I'm not, um, if I'm not obviously, clearly, publicly essential to the church, then I ain't nothing. There's that old song, There's a Balm in Gilead. You may not pray, preach like Paul, or pray like 
Peter, but you can tell the love of Jesus and say he died for all. Our role is to encourage and inspire and spur one another on, not necessarily to imitate. But our culture is so performance-oriented and so public display-oriented that we fight in the church over what we do in the one public hour and seem to give no regard whatsoever to the real work that's done for hours and hours behind the scenes. And it's a dangerous thing because our world is so performance-oriented and it comes into the church and it clashes. And I'm going to give this warning, this shout-out, be careful, lads, to leaders. Be very careful, lads, to leaders, that you don't crush the spirit of young people when you start giving out trophies to the best speech person and then, and then the top three and the others go home and, and with nothing. And I'm not saying gives trophies to everybody's stuff, but I'm saying, is that really what we want? And do we want our kids coming out of that room saying, I whipped that boy. Is that what you really want? Be careful with this. It breaks the spirits of people. I love the other events, the memorize 100 verses. You come back and everybody who does that receives something. And the reason is, you, I have people at church camp that can memorize 100 verses in three days. And they just kind of like, oh, and then we got, another, we got others that take the entire time to memorize them. And what Laz Leader says, you got a whole year. You got a year, just memorize the verses. And when you memorize the verses, there it is. But then you've got those others, that trophy thing. Just really be careful who we brag about for how good they are, and there's this other person who's not quite as good at it, but we need them anyway. We need them all, and they need to be practicing their goals. They need to be developing those skills, and you don't have to be top 10. I know everywhere else in the world, you got to be in the top 10. you got to be the best at it, or you drop out and you find something else that you can do. And it makes kids go and watch YouTube and put on YouTube videos and try to be the, the best at... At playing a video game and everybody watched me play a video game, I'm like, what are you doing with your life? You don't have to be that. We don't have to compare. Melissa's this librarian, and I'm a big person when it comes to getting people to read. Especially boys. Boys just don't read. And they come out with this program called AR. You read a book and you and you go and you test your comprehension of that. You get points for that. Like, what a neat thing. What a neat thing to do and challenge each person to get a little more each year. But no, no, no. Now we've got to have top ten. Who's the best ten? Oh, do we have to compare all the time? Do we have to be the top ten? Or are you just... They read three more books than they did last semester, and they challenged themselves. You know who you're supposed to compare yourself to? Two people in the New Testament you're supposed to compare yourself to. Anybody want to guess who it is? Jesus and yourself. Those are the two comparisons. Jesus is the standard, and are you growing if, you, if you're praying more and better than you were six months ago because you're at it all the time as best you can? Success. And your public prayer may not sound near as fluid and gracious and vocabulary-filled as a Gary James where we're looking at the glossary and trying to figure out, what did he just ask God on our behalf? Did you get that? 
Jerry James will use a word, and I'm like, what did we just ask God for? I'm not really sure. Can I say amen? I don't know. I don't know what he asked for, right? That's not true, but I'm just saying the flowery stuff, the smooth stuff. Those are the two comparisons. I think about the gifts at Valley View, and there's lots of them and people who can do it. I, I, I appreciate and, and love the fact that there's this door that's Terry's and this door that is Randy's. And those two guys really do have a gift of greeting. Now, that, that, that gift is not mentioned in the New Testament anywhere. I don't see anybody with a gift of greeting. But it is a gift. Because the New Testament is not exhaustive in naming all the gifts that are there. There's probably more gifts now than there's ever been. Greeting is one of them. I really think if we replaced Terry Smith with Daryl Hyde, people would not be as excited about coming to Valley View. You walk in that door and... And they probably just like, okay, where am I here? I just don't... Not that... Daryl doesn't need to greet people. He needs to greet people. We need to greet everybody. everybody needs to greet, greet one another with a holy kiss. That whole thing is for everybody. But, but then there are people with that specialty who man the doors, and that's the one that everybody just feels good about coming into. And here's the other thing. I would hope that we aren't so satisfied with those two guys that there aren't some people waiting in the wings who can do exactly that one day when they're not able to do it anymore. Don't be so content with the people doing it that we aren't developing other people behind them to do it. And we need, it's just a gift. There's a, there's a blessing. There's a special thing there. So quit the comparison. Don't not pray because you can't pray as well as somebody who's been praying for 100, for 100 years. Don't, don't do that. It's your walk with God, and it's you nurturing that relationship. And, and start wherever you are right now and just get better at it. And the third thing I'd say that would cause this is a compassion fatigue. This is why Paul comes along in Galatians and he says, don't become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. So why would we become weary at doing good, right? Why would those things that we need to be doing to nurture our spiritual lives and our walk with God, why would we just get sick of doing them? Maybe it's delayed affirmation. You don't really see it making any difference. I don't see a payoff. Lots of people say this to me about prayer. I just don't see it benefiting me. As if you're supposed to have immediate gratification. The irony, though, is you do if you pay attention. Every time you pray, there's immediate Immediate gratification if you value conversation with your God. And even if he doesn't change the things you mention, he's changing you. Right in that prayer. But I can say that all I want to. And sometimes coming to worship feels great. And then there are times you leave and you're like, it's not, it didn't benefit me all that much. I don't see a payoff. I, I I remember apprenticing under a, a preacher in Chillicothe, Missouri, up near Kansas City for a summer. And I was really, really young. I mean, really young, but I was, already knew I was wanting to be a preacher. And he called me up there, and he made me wash his car on Sunday afternoons. I thought, well, this is slave labor is what this is. But let me tell you what this is, he says. In ministry, you'll do a lot of things. And you'll preach, and you'll do things, and you'll go visit and stuff. And you don't see any immediate 
change or benefit. And it gets discouraging. So he says, I like to wash my car. I see what it looks like before I wash it, and then I spend a few minutes washing it, and I see what it looks like afterwards. I see, I see the benefits of my labor. He says, that's not always the case in ministry, and you've got to back up. You've got to back up and look at it to see it. That's true, the spiritual life. These spiritual disciplines that we need to do and this practice of living the Christian life, sometimes it's like I don't see an immediate payoff. Compassion fatigue. And maybe there's a second thing. Second thing is it'll never be finished. You experience this in your work life. You know you do. We say it all the time. Go to work all day, come home, feed the kids, and, and, and then get in bed and wake up and do it all over again. It's like it's never actually done, right? It's never done. The next day you got to do it again. And no matter how good you do it, you got to come back and do it again the next day. And, and, and you know, we've come together on the first day of the week, and we've honored God, and we've worshiped Him, and guess what we're going to do next Sunday? Same thing all over again. We're never going to be done. And that can be discouraging sometimes. If you're like one of those conqueror types, I like a goal and I attack that goal and I get it done, I go on to the next thing. The thing about this is the Christian life is this battle that you fight and you fight and you fight and you fight and you never quite get done with it until you're done with it. And maybe you feel like you never really see much progress. That can do this sometimes. Unless you train yourself to see that the journey is as satisfying as that destination you're going to. Now, obviously, our journey is not going to be near as satisfying as heaven when we get there. But i got to tell you that that time along the way that you spend with God and the things that you do in serving Him is a blessing. I noticed this with Melissa and Abby. They have a very close relationship. She's basically, Melissa's basically worked as a children's minister all summer. She won't say that because it's Abby doing it. But whatever Abby does, Melissa does, and they're doing it together. You've got twice the labor for half the pay. I just want you to know. And that's okay with us. We're cool with that. But for them, conversations and time spent together is just enjoyable in itself, whether it ever leads to anything or not. They just be together doesn't have to produce anything, doesn't have to accomplish anything. Now, for me as a guy, it's like my time has to be productive. I have to produce something. i got to be able to see results. But for them, it's like we're just together, and that's cool. And I need to be more like that. And can, you, can it be enjoyable just to spend time in prayer with even if you're not trying to do anything through it? I'm not trying to win a Bible quiz. I'm not trying to prepare a devotional. I'm not trying to prepare a class. I'm not trying to, uh, I'm not trying to pray through a major disaster in my life. I'm just spending time with God. Is that enough? Is that satisfying right there in itself? If it's not, if it's, if it's like I've got to be doing something and seeing the results of this time being productive, I, I think sometimes you'll be struggled because I think you'll come at the end of some Sunday nights and you'll not really see any drastic change but was it just good to be in the house of the lord with god's people was that good enough was it was it good enough did that do something in itself i think about this with randy carlton or jordan andrews they go and they they go and they 
borrow a bunch of money and they get their medical license and their medical degree and they keep working they keep working and randy's been working as a doctor for years and years and years and yet do you know what he goes to every day he goes to his practice when's he ever going to do it when's it going to be his i don't know his perfect or his his done it's not as done, it's his practice. He's still practicing medicine, and he's still practicing dentistry. Uh, it, every day you're going to have to do this. I mean, just day in and day out, you're never done. The teeth are always dirty, the, the down in the mouth, and you've got to be about all that. And, and, and there's always sick people. You're never done. But isn't that the point? If you were, you'd be out of business, right? And don't give up, don't get discouraged. It's going to pay off sometimes. You will see it. I, I remember um, going to nursing homes. Um, and, I, you know, I write cards like a lot of you do. I don't write as many as, like, some of you do, but I write several. And you, you sometimes wonder, is this doing any good? You may not hear about any of those cards for a while, but then you'll go to the nursing home, and they've stapled it to the wall. It's that important to them. I did a funeral back in, I mean, this, this lady was in Kennett, for years and years, and then she went off to Illinois, even before we left. She was off in Illinois, stayed in a nursing home. She died just a couple months ago, did her funeral. The family comes up to me and says, we, we got in her, in her bed drawer, her drawer by her bedside, opened it up, and here were two cards you sent her eight years ago. Eight years ago. She, I, I don't, obviously I don't remember the day I sent it. I don't remember hearing from her that it was important, but I assume it's sitting in that drawer because for her, for some reason, it was important. The things you do matter. And sometimes you will get a glimpse of that, and it will send you over the moon. It will. So we all suffer once in a while from these feelings of inadequacy. I'm just not good at this, or I'm not keeping this upright. We need to be able to talk back to ourselves because here's a lot of the Christian life. And by the way, this is a lot of your mental health. You're going to doubt yourself. You're going to question your value, your significance, the effectiveness of what you do. And you need to answer back because your brain thinks thoughts that are harmful to you and are not true. Those thoughts come in your head, every one of us. Call it self-pity, call it self-doubt, whatever you want to. Those thoughts come into your head, and they're lies. They're lies from the evil one, I'm convinced of it. And if he can get you down, and he can get you stopped, and he can get you depressed, and, and make you stop what you've always done, he will have you where he wants you, and you need to answer back with some of these truths we've talked about. Don't wallow in that weakness or that struggle. Because you don't see an immediate payoff, or, or you look, <coughs> excuse me, look around and see people who are better at those things you're doing than you are. Or, or maybe that you never arrive at a perfection in life, and you always are just imperfect at best. Don't, because of those thoughts, get apathetic. Lose focus, become discouraged. We all suffer if you do this. God has these amazing blessings in store for you along the way, not just in heaven, but along the way. And he throws these things to you. He gives you the gift of prayer. He gives you the gift of service. He gives you the gift of worship. He gives you the gift of meditation and thinking upon his word and giving you truths that are true, but you couldn't know it if he didn't tell you they were true. That's called scripture. He gives you that. 
And sometimes we don't take advantage. Take advantage. Pursue that growth. Mature yourself. The church, you suffer if you don't. The church suffers if you don't. Because we're only as strong as our members are active in pursuing being like Christ. I told George before we left this morning, going out the door, I said, I seriously do. I expect you to be like Jesus. He says, I'm trying. I believe he is. I've been watching him. I believe he is. I think Tony is too. Even when he's, even when he's driving around town delivering car parts. Jesus is all over town. And I really believe that's how we, and the, and the way we do that is just these little things God gives us, these blessings. Don't be apathetic. Don't get discouraged. Keep plugging away little by little at these things that help us to become like Jesus. The world needs us to be. The church needs us to be. We need to be. Do not get discouraged. Stay at it become apathetic you are more than adequate because God has given us his word his grace and his spirit and with those things at our disposal we should have no reason to feel inadequate he's made us more than enough and this evening you spiritually are discouraged spiritually are feeling down and just for whatever reason those truths aren't enough in your head. Sometimes the truth is enough, and just tell yourself that truth. But if you need to look into the face of somebody and see the face God's trying to pre- present to you, to encourage you, that's what the church is here for on Sunday nights or in, in the invitation. So if anybody needs to see the approval and the support of a church for you, now's the time to come forward as we stand and as we sing.